Welcome to the Eurasian Climate Brief podcast. We are recording today from Kelvin Grove Park in Glasgow. It's November the 7th. It's a Sunday and it's the day after the big uh, COP26 protests. And today Natalie and I are speaking to Arshak Makichan from Fridays for Future Russia. He has been described by many medias as the world's loneliest climate protester, climate activist. He was doing um, single-person uh, protests in Moscow for a total of 110 weeks. And uh, today he's in Glasgow. And Arshak, uh, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, yesterday's protest? Um, why did you take part? And uh, what do you make of the protest's results? What is your verdict of it? It was great to be with my friends at the protest and not to be alone because like the last year it was quite difficult for us uh, climate activists in Russia because like uh, the government was using this pandemic situation as an excuse to restrict our human rights and first weeks when I started my climate activism I was alone then we started to organize this movement in Russia and it was great even though we were not thousands of people but we, there was a community of climate activism in Russia And then the pandemic had started and like it was getting worse and worse and there was a lot of political pressure on activists. There, there is a political crisis in Russia. And it's so it was great to be with a lot of people, with thousands of people to strike together, to be united with a lot of different people with different backgrounds from all around the world. So it was really nice. Uh, yeah, but in, in Russia, in, it's different and we need to do this in Russia. So that's why I think we met in here to talk about the problems in Russia, because in our activism in Russia is different and we are paying different price for activism. And without uh, a climate activism in Russia, there won't be any solutions to the climate crisis because Russia is on fourth place for CO2 emissions. Russia is the uh, biggest country in the world and we need to take part in this international dialogue. And I see that you have a, an accreditation as an observer, so you've been able to penetrate the COP venue. What have you been doing over there and what has been your experience there interacting with um, delegates and, and other people? Russian delegation, I think they do not want to meet and us to have a dialogue with us because like we are, we are talking about different things. They, like our Russian delegation is trying to say that uh, nuclear energy is good for climate. They are saying that we need sanctions off from Gazprom and fossil fuel corporations and they don't understand what is it about climate crisis. Cri climate crisis is about us, people, uh, about our future uh, and they don't understand things like that. So I'm not sure that we can have a dialogue with them, but Anyway, they do not want to have a dialogue. So I can like listen to some international things, like listen to some nice things about re renewable energy, listen to some other nice things. But uh, here there is no place like for activists from Russia because like it's it's my second COP and the first COP was a little bit different. It was more uh, there were more attention to what we were doing because like Russian climate activism was a new thing. And now Russian climate activism is not a new thing, but anyway, there is no place for us at the COPs because I see like climate activists from all around the world having platforms, they're giving speeches at the places like that, and there is no place for Russian activists. And like I'm the only Russian activist here, so I think it should be different, but it's like this. So you didn't give a speech at the COP? 
No, because like I don't know, don't know why. Because I think the truth for Russian delegation is they won't accept the truth because it's too political. It's not about just climate. It's about human rights in Russia. It's about arresting Navalny. It's about prosecuting all activists because like, yeah, climate movement in Russia is small, but we are part of civil society in Russia. And as a part of civil society in Russia, we feel human rights crisis in Russia because a lot of my friends like were prosecuted by the government. They fled from Russia because they are afraid for their freedom. And so this human rights crisis connected to the climate crisis. And a lot of my friends, climate activists, are afraid to protest because they think they can be expelled from universities just for educating people about this crisis. What do you think of the Kremlin's latest 2060 uh, net zero pledge? Do you think uh, it amounts to a genuine shift uh, in policy or is it just greenwash to satisfy the West? A lot of people are asking me uh, if it's important that, that Putin didn't come to COP26. I am saying not. Do you believe Putin? Because he was talking about democracy like in uh, 20 years ago and do you believe him really? Is it important what he said? I think what is more important is what is done by Russian NGOs, by Russian, by Russian civil society and I had the joke about like their pledges uh, till 2060 or 50. It's not important because like I in my joke I was saying like uh, we will be carbon neutral till 2024 uh, because like they will arrest everyone and then uh, if you are not arrested you will be declared foreign agent and your emissions will be foreign emissions so uh, so like we can be carbon neutral like tomorrow if they want to like but it's not about uh, really doing something it's about like just play, playing with the numbers and like we need something more than like just pledges till 2060 because we need re-election in Russia. And if we are talking about the numbers, we're getting just 1% of energy from renewable energy and they're going to drill uh, and uh, mine more coal, oil and gas. So it's not about climate action in Russia. It's about <laughs> opposite thing. <laughs> what can a Fridays for Future protest eventually achieve both in Russia and in the West? In the West, it's different. It's not like a one-day battle because you should continue your protest. You should continue to say the truth because, like, like uh, international governments trying to like uh, started to say the right words, but behind these words there should be real action and our action on the different scale. And in Russia, the situation is different because, like, we were protesting for two or three years and, like, media started to write something about the climate crisis, but the climate crisis is such a big issue. It's a complex issue. It's it's a new thing for Russian people and it's kind of difficult for them to understand the scale of this crisis when, like, the media was silent about it for years and years. And climate activism is a new thing for Russia because, like, we are the first climate movement in Russia and this work was done in Europe for years and we are doing this for just three years so there is a lot of more work we, that we should be doing but like it's kind of difficult because of the human rights crisis. Do you feel like Fridays for Future still has a radical message or um, would you say that in the last years it has been in a way embraced by the COP and by the international climate community and maybe also by the media? I think it's not about radical or not radical because, like, uh, I was uh, striking uh, with a poster that, that was written just strike for climate. I think it's not radical. Like, I'm not saying like Putin should go away or things like that. I'm just 
saying the truth about climate crisis. And the truth is radical. Like we need to put down emissions for 50% till 2030. It's quite radical, I think. It's, it's the science. It's not radical. And who is eventually the most important uh, person you address uh, at, the de at the demonstrations? Is it the media? Is it the public? Is it politics? Is it all of them? Yeah, I think there is no one like most important thing, like not media, not people. Like, it's about everything. Like media should pay attention to the what is said by the normal people. And we should talk with the people to, it's very important that people should understand the climate crisis because when it's, you're striking in Russia, you're doing this on the streets. And if people don't understand climate issue, then they won't support you. And yeah, then it, there won't be any solutions to this crisis, even, yeah, even if the media will talk about it. You've talked about being threatened to be expelled from university um, in the case you pursued your protest uh, and that being the case for your fellow activists as well. There's been an increased crackdown on civil society in Russia since Navalny, the leader of the Russian opposition, since Navalny's attempted murder. What's the situation right now? Are you afraid for your safety and... Where do you draw that strength from? I'm not afraid for my safety because I'm not doing this for myself. Like I was working with my fear for years of my activism. Like at first you, the fear was different, then it's changing and changing and changing. And then you cannot feel anything at all because like you cannot live with fear like you're in your life. And you're trying to cope with this and trying to find some strength. But it's not about hope for me because, like, they can arrest me like any day. They can declare me foreign agent, and they they, they can kill me or beat me because it's it's the thing what they doing with uh, activists in Russia. Uh, but I think it's not about inspiration or things like that because uh, yeah, if we won't change the situation in Russia, then we won't have a future, and. It's quite important for us to change situation in Russia because it's our country and why it shouldn't be normal like in Europe when young people protesting and fighting for their future. We should have these rights because it's basic human rights. Uh, what is your view of uh, civil disobedience? Do you think it can have any positive outcomes or would you rather remain with the peaceful protests for the foreseeable future? I live in Russia. Our experience uh, is different. Like <laughs> in Russia, we cannot do civil disobedience. By protesting, you're already <laughs> performing civil disobedience. Yeah, activism in Russia is different. But like uh, we talked today uh, before this interview about GS, when uh, people's life was threatened by like garbage, garbage from Moscow in Arkhangelsk region, and people did civil disobedience, and they did it because it was about their lands, about their present. And what you can say, uh, yeah, people should fight for their basic human rights. And it's okay for me. But like for me, it's a little bit different because I live in Moscow. It, it's one of the richest cities in the world. So I am fighting more about climate justice because like it should be different. And like I have this opportunity to fight for something else. But like if people fighting for their present, for their lives, I think it, they're doing the right thing. How can the international community help you? It's kind of difficult because, like, uh, international community usually 
uh, that have better education than I do. Like I'm, I just graduated from Moscow Conservatory, and I there was nothing about like uh, this in. I didn't learn anything about this in conservatory. I was just playing violin. So I think uh, international community can figure out uh, this better without me, because of course they should support. Uh, Activists, uh, there are a lot of pressure on different activists uh, in Russia, on eco-activists, on political activists. It's not important. We should talk about this. We should uh, give them platforms because without solidarity, there won't be any solutions to this crisis. Uh, and there can be actions on different scales because like, it's kind of difficult to be vegan in Russia. It's kind of di- difficult to be like to do this work uh, in Russia about educating about climate change because it's important as well. But of course, we should talk about human rights crisis uh, connection to the, this global crisis. Thank you to Arshak Makichan for joining us on the podcast. As usual, we will have a roundup of the latest climate news from our region later in this episode. Meanwhile, while Angelina has been attending the conference, Natalie and I have been out on the streets of Glasgow meeting some of the protesters who are here at COP26. We met Yevgeny Simonov from the organization Rivers Without Boundaries. Under Russian law, he's classed as a foreign agent. I asked him to tell us why he's here in Glasgow and what his work consists of. We are protecting rivers. And one of the major threats to rivers is damming for hydropower. And the hydropower corporations around the world uh, now have the only hope to persist is to sell their big, dirty dams as a climate solution. And it's obviously a false solution because it destroys very scarce natural ecosystems, which are very important assets for local populations and very important assets for global climate system. We are very worried that uh, the Article 6, if adopted uh, without... uh, The Article 6, which is uh, the article in the negotiations uh, surrounding uh, carbon trading. It may allow for building more dams in the name of saving the climate, which is false on all fronts, including... By subsidizing so-called renewable projects uh, in developing countries. By subsidizing inefficient renewable projects and by basically creating large reservoirs which in the first decades of their existence emit a lot of methane, the most potent greenhouse gas. How do they emit methane? Oh, you flood huge areas full of soil and vegetation and it rots at the bottom for first, let's say, 15, 20 years of dam existence and uh, basically you emit greenhouse gases instead of... uh, as the dam builders claim, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which is not true. And could you tell us which are the major dams you're campaigning against in uh, Eurasia? We are systemic organization. Uh, if we're talking about uh, basins, uh, we historically started an Amur River basin and successfully campaigned against at least five dams which were not as a result built. For example, 10 years ago, uh, we and our collaborators campaigned against dam on Shilka River, which is the source of Amur River, and successfully convinced the company to abandon the project at early stages. And we are trying to work at the early stages. Right now, we are concerned in Russia with the proposal of the N-Plus Group to build four new large dams, 
uh, namely two dams on the remainder of Angara River, which is already mostly dammed by very harmful dams, and uh, one on Lena River tributary, and one probably most ridiculous is uh, completing a previously abandoned dam in the Kemerova region, which is the center of uh, coal industry under the name of decarbonization and uh, diversification from coal. And uh, that dam is, was uh, rejected by population and two environmental impact assessments in the 80s. And uh, the fact they are returning to it shows they just basically disregard uh, basic facts about the project that show that this project is completely unsustainable. Is it dangerous to be uh, doing the work that you're doing in, in Russia? Uh, it's less dangerous than in Honduras, uh, Colombia and many other countries where you have much more statistical chances just to be killed or injured for your work. But you still could be pressured and persecuted. And uh, there is consistent effort from the industry and from the government to silence activists uh, who are protesting large mega projects uh, and show them as agents of the West or something else. Are you a foreign agent under Putin's uh, law? Yeah, as a result, uh, a month ago I became a foreign agent, uh, number 78, according to the Ministry of Justice. I was the first environmental activist put on the list of the foreign media uh, performing function of foreign agent, whatever it means. Do you think your campaign is garnering the attention it deserves here? We'll see. We believe that we already put our information in the right ears. Of course, it's not the primary focus of uh, climate campaigners here. Uh, but you know, uh, uh, given the importance of rivers in the planet's ecosystem, uh, we hope to get necessary attention and prevent climate money from being massively used for dam building. That was Evgeny Simonov, one of thousands of protesters here in Glasgow, talking to Natalie earlier. As he said, under Russian law, he is classified as a foreign agent. Now let's take a look at the latest climate news from our region. The spat between Poland and the Czech Republic over an open peat lignite mine could finally draw to an end on Monday, the 6th of November, Reuters reports. The European Union top court has instructed Poland to seize operations at the mine and associated power plant after the Czech side complained of environmental damage in nearby villages. Water shortages have reportedly killed off local nature and deprived some villages of access to running water. The Croatian National Bank will soon be developing and implementing its own climate strategy, according to Euroactive. In line with European Central Bank guidelines, future forecasts will include climate and environmental risks. The Croatian National Bank is also set to pen a decarbonization strategy by 2022, 48% of Bulgarians believe their country should prioritize renewables as it seeks to confront the climate crisis. This is according to a new survey conducted by the European Investment Bank. The figure is 15 percentage points lower than the EU average. Bulgarians are also more supportive of nuclear energy than any other EU citizens. Almost a quarter of them favor nuclear energy, by contrast to 12% in the EU. 
Russia could be left with almost $2 trillion in worthless hydrocarbon assets by 2036. This would be the case if large economies managed to meet their net zero targets, according to the scientific journal Nature. Such a figure would amount to a loss of around two-fifths of Russian government oil and gas revenues by 2030. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Eurasian Climate Brief. And a big thank you to our supporters at the Battleground magazine. Don't forget to follow the podcast in your favorite app and you'll find us on social media at Eurasian Climate. We'd love to know your thoughts on the topic we discuss in each episode. Have you by any chance been in Glasgow at the COP26 yourself? To get in touch, we're still here. And we'll be back in a couple of days with a new episode. So see you then! Thank you.